Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember the story story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs as fuel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, drumroll please. <laughs> Bing! Welcome to episode 18. What? 18. That Come is a on. 1-8, that is 2 away from 20. This podcast can now legally drink. <laughs> and drive. Been driving for a whole year. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't know if we celebrated it being able to drive last month. Maybe we oh, did. did pass its test. Well, it could have got it could have got married two years ago. But hey, yeah. Gosh, I mean, also it's only months, so we're really skipping, <laughs> we're really skipping ahead. That's true. <laughs> but we're back, and we are full of jollity and joy, and ready to hear some more stories. Stephen, my dear old Stephen, <laughs> what, tell us your story. This less of the old. <laughs> yes, and more of the dear. Uh, well, at last episode 17 was uh, an Egypt adventure. And I'm just going to kick off with an Egypt PS, actually, because mm. there was a time when I travelled to the Sudan on this uh, job I was doing. And in those days, the, the visa situation was that you uh, applied for the visa before you left UK. And uh the word came through it had been approved, but you didn't put anything in your passport like you might do normally for another country. It was written in a big book in the airport in Khartoum in Sudan. And so you arrived on your airport, on your aircraft. You didn't arrive on the airport. You arrived <laughs> at the airport in your aircraft. You deplaned, as they like to say, in the United States of America. And uh, there was a little room to the side of the uh, arrivals hall where there was this big book of life. And if your name was in it, you got your passport stamped and were allowed in. The big book of life? Well, I called it that. I mean, it's a big book of visa stamps. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) no, I like big book of life. Let's stick with that. (laughs) So uh, on this particular occasion, uh, uh, the visa had come through unexpectedly. In England, I, I rushed down to the airport and got a flight the same day, which was much quicker than usual. And the net result was I arrived in uh, in Sudan, uh, and my passport and I were there, but the Big Book of Life did not have my name yet written in it because there had been an administrative delay within the uh, immigration department. So the immigration department are obliged to deport you to throw you out as a country. But I had a colleague who was the other side of the arrivals fence, jumping up and down, waving at me, saying, lock yourself in the toilet because it's <laughs> going to be here in an hour. We've got it. It's being typed as we speak. <laughs> and, um, but anyway, the, the plane manager, which was actually Egypt Air, uh, was having to pay money to have his plane kept on the ground because if I was to be deported, I was to be sent away in the same plane I'd come on. Oh. So a long result, eventually, I didn't, Work shutting myself in the toilet didn't work. The man with three pips on his shoulder, looking increasingly annoyed that my name wasn't in the book of life, frog marched me off to the plane, up the stairs, hurled me in the door. The door was shut, and the plane took off. And no. um, yeah, and all of the people um, in the plane must have thought I was a hardened criminal. I think <laughs> you know, can imagine it. I, this man gets bundled on. Dunk. So I arrived in Egypt, which was where the next that plane was stopping. 
and the, the job then was to wait there until I could be sure my visa was 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 ready. And I had nothing. I didn't have my luggage. I didn't have any money. Egyptian currency. Um, and so I ended up in the centre of Cairo, in a well-known square called Tahrir Square, which actually was the centre of the Arab Spring um, protests a few years ago. Um, and was on the on the news, and I thought, oh, I've been to Tahrir Square, and I was sitting there as miserable as I've ever felt in my life, because it was Aww. like 40, 49 degrees centigrade, it was absolutely blisteringly hot. I had really just what I stood up in, and in those days I had a tendency to have nosebleeds, like my brother. And uh, suddenly, in the middle of this baking heat of this day, my nose started spurting blood i mean not dripping but spurting blood. that is a grim word to be used yeah. in the context <laughs> well hey, but it paints a very good picture it does paint a very good picture i just posed the question what do you do when mm. you um, i didn't even have a tiny square of tissue or anything i just had the clothes <laughs> i was standing up in and my passport basically and a book that i was going to read on the flight so um pinch your nose and hope for the best I went through in my mind that this is perhaps how it all ends. I bleed to death in the middle of oh, Cairo. No. <laughs> but not seriously. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he made it. Yes, I made it. And in the most unlikely turn of events, a yet another man with three pips on his shoulders. There's lots of them around. <laughs> um, very big. In fact, he might have even had four or five. He was a, a big guy with a big uniform. Uh, was walking past and he saw my dilemma. And very kindly face he had in his late 60s, I should think. And he said, what you need is cold water. And I, he seemed to walk off. And I thought, well, that's pleasant, <laughs> but not very helpful. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but he appeared a couple of minutes later with a bottle of ice cold water, which I presume he must have um, purchased from a, a shop nearby. And so this big military man and me squatting on this little stone pillar in the middle of the square, he proceeded to tip it all over my head, over my hair. Mm. So that it all dripped all the way down my neck and all over my face. I mean, one of the most bizarre experiences, um, even as I'm telling you now, I'm sort of thinking, well, how weird is that? Mm. Net result, constricted the vessels, so he told me, constricted the vessels at the back of my neck, which presumably feed the nose, gradually slowed down and stopped. Hmm. Mm. It's worth knowing. Yeah, that's how... When I used to get really bad nosebleeds, I would um, put an ice cube on my nose if 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 I couldn't get <laughs> it to stop by pinching it. Still how unpleasant, you... but less unpleasant than pouring a cold bottle of water over your entire head. That True, was but... I tell you, 50 degrees, it was all... It was Probably welcome. Rather <laughs> nice, yeah. It's mm. interesting that there's... Oh, well, presumably there's some kind of gene thing going on there where when you were younger you both suffered from nosebleeds and that's something that I just... I can't remember ever really having... I'm sure I did have a nosebleed when I was a kid, but I don't really remember having nosebleeds ever. Yeah, I think it's what's definitely a gene thing because it was definitely when it was hot, it was such a catalyst. Mm. It, there's been a few times where you'd sort of go, oh, it's really hot. Oh, my nose is running. Of course it's blood. <laughs> well, of course. What else would it be? <laughs> So that was my little Egypt PS from the Egypt Adventure of episode 17. Um, otherwise, so far in this little uh, meander through life, I'm about, I don't know, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, that period of life we're talking about now. And as I usually say, I've lived in Surrey, Scotland and Zambia. 
and I visited the Philippines, Mallorca, France, Sudan and Egypt, as you just know. I'm fairly newly married to Mutz and we're settled down and uh, I'm merrily recruiting innocent young people to send them overseas to work in refugee situations. And that's the, the sort of life we're living, based in the UK, but travelling perhaps two or three times a year. And at this point, occasionally with Mutz, because no children, quite yet, very, very near coming along, but no children. And um, so that was quite fun. I'm going to ask you a question. What does the word... Eritrea spring to mind if I say that to you what does it what comes to your mind or if anything or if nothing hmm. it's like a, a semi-familiar and it gives me the era of childhood like maybe that was somewhere that I, I also link it slightly with Auntie Rosie maybe she lived near there or we visited it while we were visiting her in Ethiopia good yeah we did exactly that we went we went and visited her in Ethiopia and then we went and visited some other friends in Eritrea because I think it was Eritrea where um, we played, <laughs> we played some kind of game, and I can't remember. It was like make believe in a car, and then a thunderstorm came down. And we had to rush into the house. That, that's my memory of Eritrea. <laughs> now, for those who can't see us on videos, Jess was looking very proud that she could jump in with exact details of what happened. But I must point out, you're older than me, and I wouldn't. I yes. can't remember these things. <laughs> so <laughs> we, you, you were very tiny, Tommy. At least you were very tiny. Tiny Tommy, um, at least you were tiny Tommy, at least. Yes, you're all tiny. But wait, we can't be talking about the trip that that we're thinking of because, as previously discussed, there were no children yet. Although, spoiler alert, there will be. There will be. There are no. <laughs> so Eritrea is is your right it's a country, and it was very near where Rosie worked in Ethiopia. And in fact, for about thirty years, it was a, a province of Ethiopia. Um, and the Eritreans, along with some neighbours, were fighting to have independence for that province to be a separate country and Eritrea as it stands today is one of the world's newer countries mm. it um it fought for 30 years and the reason for that is that Ethiopia which is a big country is completely landlocked it doesn't have any um borders that are on the sea but Eritrea which was a province of Ethiopia does it's one of its main um borders is is along the Red Sea and so when it was a province of Ethiopia, it, Ethiopia had a, a route to a port, it had a, a way to export and import goods. It's a very strategic bit of land, which is why the Ethiopians fought for 30 years to keep it and the Eritreans fought for 30 years to be independent. And um, it was a terrible war, really. Um, and it was because of that war that all the refugees flocked into the Sudan, which we've talked about in previous uh, episodes and I'll come back to that again actually because there's a few things I want to talk about the um, camps in Sudan but the Eritreans eventually won in 1991 and uh, it was a terrific uh, celebration and it so happened in May 1991 that I was on one of my uh, trips to the team who were working in eastern Sudan on the border with Eritrea with the refugees and I happened to be in in Sudan when the news came through that Asmara, the capital of, of Eritrea, had was liberated and the, the country was free and the Ethiopians had capitulated and the war was over after 30 years. And we happened to be there yeah. right alongside it. Uh, it was like the birth of a nation just there in real time. Mm. So my director there and his wife and I and a couple of other people decided that we would take one of the Land Rovers and just drive speculatively across the border and see what was going on. I and mean, we would never have done that, you know, the week before um, or 
for the past 30 years we'd never have done that but now that it was open and free we thought we would we'd try it and see and we drove um across the Sudanese border into into Eritrea up through the hills uh, to Asmara and uh, wow what an experience um the whole city was like having a party <laughs> basically <laughs> i mean you, you could imagine the effects of 30 years of war there were lots of devastation um the electricity hadn't really been on reliably for years and yet after a week it was back on people were out painting the facades of their shops Wow. Um, there was a lot of, and this is where we went a few years later uh, to visit those friends who were working there. And uh, one of the other things that really struck me was um, in the past, Eritrea had been colonised by Italy. And I've travelled a lot in Africa and mostly to countries that were colonised by Great Britain. And so you don't really notice as a British person that a lot of the influence of the colonial power good and bad, but mostly bad, um, is, is cultural. And so what you see in those countries reflects the culture of the, the country that was uh, the colonial power. And you don't notice it if you're British going to a British colony, a former British colony. But when you go to an Italian com- colony or a French colony, you really notice it. So the thing that really struck me was that in all the restaurants, um, I mean, cappuccinos, now, you'd be disappointed to find a cafe that didn't serve a cappuccino. In 1991, <laughs> in the UK, cappuccino wasn't something that you went and ordered just routinely. <laughs> it really wasn't. Um, and yet, you know, cappuccinos were, were... And then if you went to the restaurant for a meal, they had all these primo, secondi, um, and antipasta. And it was, it was all Italian um, as, mm. as, as, as the culture of the restaurants. Really, the legacy and the history of that uh, Italian and it really struck me in a way I'd never been thought about before what just what an influence those countries left when they gave independence to those countries uh, after having been the colonial power very thought provoking um mm. indeed I'd never con- I'd never considered I mean what you say makes total sense that that idea that if if it's your if the culture you're from i.e. like Britain has colonised places, then you, you're not necessarily going to notice the effects as much as when it's somewhere, somewhere else. But that's... Yeah, I actually didn't know that Italy had con- colonised places. So Not many. Yeah, mm. but... Mm. Yeah, interesting. And, and so that was Eritrea rather than Ethiopia? Was it Ethiopia? That was Eritrea. Yeah, that was a, er, mm. just Eritrea, which... Um, and, be, and partly because of that, it's had an identity which is really why it wanted independence as a, a you know, you might say, well, why that particular part of Ethiopia? Mm. But they had a previous um, identity because of... And of course, the Italians were interested because of the trade routes through the, the ports. You know, it the, again, mm. it's the coastal strategic location that made it interesting. It's interesting that you, at the very beginning, you said that they were, they, Eritrea were fighting for independence and it made me immediately go, cause it, because it was a province of... Um, Ethiopia, and I was thinking, oh, that's interesting. It's a bit like Scotland now, who who are like fighting for independence um, in the UK, <laughs> and then and then, but then, like I've realised what you mean by fighting is like there was actually a Literally war for thirty fighting, years. Yeah. Not, yeah. I'd initially thought you meant a um, just like they they wanted independence, but actually it was much much worse than that. It it was a very bloody war, and in fact, the mm. the, the Eritreans were sort of uh, most a lot of their. Um, tactics and uh, operations were underground 
and they had the most amazing network of um, tunnels, which included sort of full-scale hospitals, uh, where you could do everything from proper operations to, you know, uh, maternity care and childcare and vaccination programmes, all underground, because so often there were bombing raids um, above the ground uh, from the Ethiopian forces. Mm. And it was recognised as being... um, a very, very sort of intelligent operation, very um, uh, very effective, really, uh, even though it took so long, because they were very much the the lesser power. They had very much fewer, fewer resources, uh, fewer soldiers and so on. Um, and so so that was that was their tactic. And interestingly enough, the the rebel leader, uh, whose name was Esaias Afaweki, um, he took the, the post of president um, when they got their independence. And he's still there today. So this is 1991, which is, again, another 30 years on, if you can believe it. Hmm. So, I mean, obviously he wasn't fighting all those 30 years. He was too young for that. But, but I mean, one of the ironies and thought-provoking reflections is that what did Eritrea do with their independence? Well, I'm no expert and not at all qualified to comment or judge. However, I observe that much of the last 30 years has been engaged with still fighting, um, often to get more land for their territory, sometimes land that is of very low value and seems of no strategic importance. Not the coastline now, I'm talking about strips of desert that um, they were fighting with the neighbours. And even and now I, I noticed that um, just before we recorded this, I looked up um, the name of the refugee camps that we were working with uh, 30 years ago, um, 40 years ago as well now, actually. And they're still there. And in fact, they're still having people coming into them now from renewed fighting in that part oh. of the Horn of Africa. And it, 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 it makes me ask the question, um, as with Ukraine right now, why is it that people want more than what they've got and and you know, particularly if they're in power, why is it they, they, they want to take what other people have got? I'm afraid that is a question I'm unqualified to answer as well. <laughs> yeah, but it, I, I completely agree with you. It doesn't make any sense, but there's, throughout history, there's such a clear, there's such a clear sort of um, strand of people who have power, want more power, keep going to try and get the most power. I mean, that's sort of how a lot of our history has been formed. Which, why can't mm. we just all live in peace? Mm. I know, and um, I mean, it, it, this uh, Isaias Afaweki is 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 one of several examples of people I have known about, and not, I didn't don't think I met him. I might have even done actually at some point, but anyway, people I've met or known about who have been supremely good from the outside observer's point of view as leaders as. Um, uh, as visionaries, as inspirers in one context, who when they get into power and absolute power, it all goes wrong. Uh, and so somebody said power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And there's some there's some truth in that, I think. And I mm. think um, a, a philosophical observation, which this podcast is not prone to, but I think I'll just throw it in here, <laughs> is that when when we do have power, we just, over anybody, whether it's a, I don't know, uh, uh, somebody emptying your bin or whatever it is. Uh, it just, we just have to be very careful how we use it. Um, yeah. 
It's something that, um, Tommy, did you ever read the Divergent books? Those sort of Hunger Games-esque... I did, um, with the different factions based on your personality type. Yeah, and there was one thing that I just found, that I found interesting, where they talked about, um, there's... So so yeah they so as Tommy said they split people up into these five factions depending on your personality, and you have jobs that are sort of related to your kind of strengths and skill sets. But there's this one, one of the factions, and it feels like it's very much painted as being sort of quite kind of calm and unassuming and sort of not very like necessarily ambitious or sort of, I mean potentially dull is is a word that you might describe. The Hufflepuffs sort of, is, of... It, you know it's that sort of just kind of not really anyway they're the ones that have the power and it's the end i remember reading it they they sort of say it's because they don't want it which is why they're Mm, best for it you know i I always thought that's a kind of really interesting and probably like i'd be very tricky to make a world where that actually happened but there's something quite true about it where if you don't if you want power there's inherently a problem yeah whereas Mm, if you don't want it and you have it then maybe you're better equipped to sort of make decisions for good as opposed to making decisions that might be self-serving. I'll tell you something. Um, I mean, I've had occasion to touch power at different times in life. I've been to sort of events and in one-to-one meetings with people who are very powerful. And it is very seductive. You know, you you can feel the kind of buzz of being in that kind of... um, uh, environment and uh, every time I noticed that I sort of tried to to check myself and say it means nothing you know touching mm-hmm. this power means nothing at all um, but it's quite fun that's what I said. <laughs> do you mean do you mean power is in sort of being in connection to somebody that has power or is in that you sort of had a, had an opportunity to have power yourself oh no I mean connecting to people who've got power yes mm. Um, mm. that that's seductive and uh, but I mean, I do think I'm a very powerful person in the overall scheme of the world's kind of setup. Um, and, an international uh, you know, podcast head, for one thing. That's an international <laughs> podcast, an influencer, a, a veritable influencer. Um, mm, but yes. yes, but you 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 don't necessarily really realise how you're wielding power on a day to day basis. But but we all are because we're sort of wealthy, really, and we can make choices and and so on. But um, I mean, this that this episode is a little bit kind of what the podcast is about is is that how did I end up kind of going to the birth of a nation? I mean, really, <laughs> <laughs> it really sounds like the two stories you've told so far. Really, I can picture the film versions of them. I can picture the sort of they're like frantically typewriting your visa to get it across to the yeah. book of life and then you're being dragged away and it's like gets printed just as you're bundled onto the plane and the door digital, closes uh, d- digital timer counting down till his flight just leaves like, and then cut this kind of like journey and you're going over the hills and suddenly this like big party revealing mm. anyway what i'm saying is any film producers get in touch because we're going to make a film about this played by a long, young harrison ford Oh, mm. he's not young anymore, unfortunately. No, I know, I, so I don't know what you can do about that. But <laughs> there'll, be, there'll be another one along in a minute. You could there always, there always is. Um, but there, there's actually more to that trip to Eritrea, which I'll tell you next time because tonight is not the night for that. But um, there's another bit to that story, which is Eritrea. 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 Very nice. <laughs> so I mean, I'm actually proposing to to sort of leave it there in terms of stories I've got to tell. But I did want to ask you about just going back to Leamington uh, in early life for a minute. 
Um, I wondered if you knew, remembered anything about Elizabeth the Chef. Does that not ring any bells? No. Elizabeth I don't the think Chef. So. I mean, it's such a strong name, but it doesn't yeah, ring any bells it, for it me. It sounds not like person. it should. It's not, it's a, not person. a person. <laughs> it's a chef. <laughs> Is it no. a small rat who sits under the chef's <laughs> hat of, of... of a person? <laughs> That's a tell you. No, it's um, it's it was a business actually, uh, and uh, if you can, you know, do you remember St Mary's Church that the St Mary's Road went over a bridge over the canal mm. there where we used to go through the canal path? But just on the right there, there was a building um, that made cakes and tarts and desserts, oh, and it yes. was called Elizabeth the Chef, and it used to smell like cakes whenever you cycle down that way. Well, if you walked there, cycled there, yes, ran I do. There. Doesn't matter <laughs> how you went. Oh, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but that's because I, I used to cycle that way. <laughs> However you went, it smelled like cakes. Yeah. <laughs> if you walked, uh, it the, didn't smell like cakes. It was only if you cycled. In my experience. <laughs> so the reason the reason for that is that they made cakes. But um, oh. why it's of interest is um, because they used to have a little shop that sold. Uh, Cakes no. to the public. <laughs> no, no, no. It was a huge factory. <laughs> Hang on a minute. It was a huge factory and they churned out hundreds of thousands of cakes every day. So they couldn't be mm. selling them to Joe, Joe Bloggs, who was cycling along, smelling them. It's Tom Park, um, actually. But... Oh, yeah. Um, but there was a little cake, a little stall. And the, what they sold there, and this is why I'm saying it's so interesting, is cakes that they had used as samples for testing to make sure that all the food was good, the nutrition's were right. So you could buy a little tart with one slice out of it, which had been taken mm. away for testing. Mm. And, you, you know, of course, they were dirt cheap. Um, and we, we used to uh, we used to get them. And I can remember going into that shop with you being very small i just wondered if it left any memories legacy memories that really feels like the kind of thing that i should and would remember but all i remember is that i remember the font of it was pink and curly i think yes Um, you're quite right and i remember the smell very clearly um but i don't remember the shop bit of it but that's really nice i really like that idea i wonder why because that can't be a money spinner can it it must just be Somebody having fun. Well, it sort of covers it sort of covers your cost, doesn't it, to sell off sample cakes? It means there's no food waste. But and also, it's a good PR move because everyone, you know, everyone knew about it and it took mm. them there. And then, so mm. presumably, it was like a brand that you bought Elizabeth the Shep cakes in yeah. Sainsbury's rather than they were making them for other brands, which is what you would maybe assume a large factory is doing. It was doing all of that. I mean, they were, I think the majority of their, their sales were to other brands, actually, mm-hmm. um, truly. But, but the thing is, you recognise them because you'd eaten one without, with a slice missing. So if you, saw, <laughs> if, you, if you saw it being sold under the Wolves brand, all other, other brands are available, um, then, then you, you, you'd recognise it and say, oh, yeah, that's the one we tasted. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Mr Kipling has been outed as actually being Elizabeth the <laughs> Chef. Elizabeth the Chef. <laughs> Well, look, there's another film in this about the cake, cake industry and the... Uh, he bakes exceedingly good cake cakes. Cake conspiracy. <laughs> so just to be clear, there's a place called Elizabeth the Chef, which is a shop which sells cakes and they smell like cakes and you can buy the cakes. <laughs> that's <laughs> well, and there's that's, a bit a, missing. that's along the short of it. <laughs> no, no the, the crucial bit is there's a bit missing and you don't normally oh. go and buy cake with a bit <laughs> yeah, missing. Yeah, sorry. That, oh, I, just, I was waiting that, for the bit that was missing. I thought you meant there was there was another bit to the story that we hadn't heard. The cake is that is what makes the story interesting. And if you missed that, then I can understand why you're bored. The bit that's missing I is what really, makes it interesting. 
I just really enjoyed how long it took us to get to uh, the kind of central premise that, that the cake shop that smelled like cake sold cakes. <laughs> well, I'm not sure we have ever got there without you, Jay, helping us out, actually. So. Um, uh, excellent. So the only other thing was I was just, just remembering that um, our good friend Carl, God rest his soul, he was uh, he was just tiny at this stage. I mean, I, I think... Well, he was only a bit younger, a bit older than you, because what, what are you now, Jay? You're... I'm 32, but I always thought he was... I had him in my older. head as loads older, but maybe that's the sort of the funny perspective you have when you're sort of... I think he, he, yeah. he's, he's, he would have been 34 this year. So, no. oh, sorry, 36, I mean, 36, beg your pardon. Yeah. But yeah. still, that's not, that's not much older. It isn't, but it seems a lot when you're young, I think. But, um, yeah, yeah. So, so in this period, he was kicking around, I remember, quite a lot with Angie, who, of course, um, mm. we know well. And uh, those were some little snippets of Lemington life, I suppose. But anyway, there we go, Birth of a Nation. It sounds like the title of the episode to me. Yes, love it when we hit on a on an episode title uh, mid flow. Any uh, uh, any comments? Any remembers? Anything I should add? Or... Any remembers? Was that? <laughs> Listen, do you know <laughs> I, everything? When I when I when and if I ever do any public speaking, the things I learn off by heart are the words I start with and the words I finish with. Why don't I do it with the podcast? I always trail <laughs> off. I always trail off with a sort of silly little. You're like a you're like a candle. You're you're tricky to get going, and you poop out at the end. But the middle, oh, the light that comes off you. <laughs> I'll take that entirely as a compliment. Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, I came up with it on the spot, so I'm not sure which way it was supposed to go. It, it went the right. It went the right way. Believe me. Thank you. Mm. Talking of public speaking, I had um, to think about preparing a speech for this award ceremony that I went to on Sunday, which I didn't win, so I didn't have to give the speech. Ooh, but it suddenly goodness. occurred to me, sort of in the days leading up to it, that there was the possibility that I might win, mm. and if I did win, then I would have to give a speech. And having never been to a an award ceremony where that was a possibility, you know, you're suddenly thinking. Gosh, what are the things that you have to say and what are the things that you should say and how and you know, mm. and I kind of, I guess the only other speech I've ever really done in a proper way was the one that I did at our wedding, which was two months ago, mm. which I absolutely didn't prepare, <laughs> and I had I had one very quick conversation with Tommy and Lucy <laughs> about it, uh, and I had some kind of key points, and I was like yeah it'll be fine and the thing was it was fine yeah. but really only because the whole room knew me and I knew the whole room so it, <laughs> it felt like about the safest environment in which to give a speech because everyone's just like yeah whatever you say mm. is gonna be good whereas suddenly you're suddenly I was thinking about gosh a room full of sort of my 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 peers and my you know kind of hopeful future colleagues and kind of people that might might give you work and and if I have to stand up and say something can I did I did the same thing which is have have sort of some key like hit points but nothing written down and nothing kind of actually <laughs> planned and then just in the moment when they were about to call our names out and they sort of were listing they were listing all the nominees and I suddenly started thinking I I I have I understand now why people write down what they're about to say because I think <laughs> I've lost I've lost the thread of it all and really, when they read out the other person's name, I did feel a bit of a sense of relief that I didn't have to go up and suddenly suddenly have to do this speech that I really had not prepared well enough. So that was a good but, lesson for me to learn. Yeah. Well, thank goodness you didn't win, Jay. My goodness. Oh, it, well, exactly. That's so funny. And very, very funny how opposite the... Like, 
how well your speech went at the wedding taking that at base value you could be uh, my instinct was like well you did so well like that's fine but then of course like explaining what you just explained of like the environments kind of couldn't be more dissimilar <laughs> they in a way be more different <laughs> um actually yeah don't use that as the basis for all future <laughs> public speaking events just, just yeah. a last last little snippet on the speeches um there was a time i did quite a lot of talking and speaking in public for this charity and uh, there was a time that i went to a uh, club in London. I can't remember the. I can't remember the details now. But it was basically it was a young person's club. It wasn't an old fogies, old codgers club. It was it was for young people. Um, I guess I would have been late forties, fifties, something like that. And the the room was full of twenty, thirty somethings at most. Um, and it was a cocktail party, and they were going to be asked to raise money for the charity, and um, there was a podium and a microphone and this group and um, I was indicated that it was my time to get up and talk and I got up to the podium and you know I did what I do you know tap the microphone and went I don't know why it does that but it always does in films anyway it does Um, in films yeah it annoys me so much that it does in films it never does it in real life yeah anyway um, it annoys me actually interestingly enough so good I'm glad to hear yeah Um, and I stood up and uh, there was no sort of introduction to me. And it turned out later that nobody had been told they were going to be asked to raise money for a charity or that it was anything to do with a charity. It was a, in other words, it was a muck-up. Mm. And um, what the net result was when I started speaking, not one single person in the entire room was even slightly interested in listening to me. Um, and I, I'd never had that before because um, usually there's a few polite people who, who, who stop talking. Not a single person. I could see all around the room. There were groups of people with their drinks, chatting merrily, laughing, throwing their heads back. And I was sort of just rabbiting on. I wonder what you would do in that situation. Whoa. I would just walk away. Or I'd go, oi! Yeah, that you, I think you sort of have, you have kind of two choices really you sort of there's the workshop route which is really probably not appropriate in that mm-hmm. sort of situation where everyone's having fun where you do some sort of like three two one freeze <laughs> or you know whatever get everyone's attention or you just do something so you so kind of outlandish they have to stop and look so i don't know sing a song or or or, or be like good morning everybody <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I can't say that I would have the courage I, to do either pre- of those things. But I really wish you did win and used one of those techniques. <laughs> oh yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Although the thing is, they get, they did give us an introduction, and I think starting to speak mm. when no one has introduced you is oh, very hard. Do you know what I did? Do you want to know what I did? Well, yes. I yeah. Do. Oh yeah. I took your advice, Tommy. I walked away. Mm. I, I shut my shut my notes and walked away. And I, to this day, I'm just so resentful that I'd gone all the way down from Warwick to London, um, you know, train ticket, you know, lost an mm. afternoon and evening for absolutely nothing whatsoever. However, that is one experience in about a million others where I've been so thrilled with everything that's gone on. In are a, you in a, are you definitely definitely sure you're in the right place? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good cop. <laughs> You can imagine it's, next door. There's a there's a fundraising conference where everyone's sitting very diligently making notes. One by one, people Don't give worry. their pictures. I, I, it's all too horribly possible because I've, I mean the details have now blurred. But I I can't put my hand on my heart and say I am sure I was in the right place. But I definitely was. I mean even if I was in the right place technically, I was definitely wasn't in the right place. Um, 
Uh, practically. <laughs> practically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so. That is a very funny idea. I love it. Whew, that's all I've got for you, kids. Wow. Wow, that was very enjoyable. Very enjoyable. Thank you, Stephen, <laughs> for extra tales and philosophical... Like... Philosophical. 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 And the error trailer. Oh, that's a big old cliffhanger for next time. All right, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from me. Oh, well, I suppose I better go. Bye from me. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.